In just a couple of minutes, we're going to read today's passage of Scripture. It's the last two chapters of Acts. So believe it or not, we have come to the conclusion in our long study of Acts. And uh, some of you might feel like it's been years. Uh, it covers a, a, you know, a many years in church history, but we have been going through this uh, for many months now, but we are coming to the conclusion of our uh, study in the book of Acts this morning. But in this morning's passage, the last two chapters of Acts, we're going to see an amazing picture of how God cares for those that He cherishes. We've been seeing the journeys of the Apostle Paul and how through so many dangers and and trials and perils that God has provided for him, well, this morning is no different. We see how God protects and provides for His servant Paul. God has called Paul to be His vessel. Called him to go to Rome. And he said, you must go to Rome. So God will guarantee His passage. God encourages Paul. He tells him during this perilous journey that he will be safe. That he will take care of him. That he has sent him on this mission. He treats him as a special, unique treasure. God cares for the Apostle Paul. He cares for us as well. Hebrews 12 tells us that God is the author and finisher or completer of our faith. He creates us and He calls us. He will complete us. If He sends us on mission, He will be true to complete that mission. Remember that the title for our study in this whole book was The Unstoppable Mission of the Church or The Church on Mission. And so we see part of that coming to conclusion this morning. For it is the end of the book, but truly not the end of the story. We'll look at that as well. So we can see from Paul's trials and tribulations, especially as we look at his his perilous sea voyage this morning, it can give us hope and assurance that just like Paul, God will see us through. You know, in our study of Acts, we've talked a lot about God's providence. We mentioned on many occasions about how God is working behind the scenes through all the details, orchestrating those things in our life to, that we can't even recognize to bring us just to where it is that He wants us to be. We have seen through the book of Acts the birth of the church. We've seen the Holy Spirit and His power leading and guiding throughout, woven together throughout the story. We've looked at God's providence. We've seen the unstoppable mission of the church. Way back in the beginning of Acts, on the very first Sunday we started, verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, when Luke is writing this, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's talking about what? His Gospel. Remember? Luke is the writer of Acts, so he wrote his Gospel the story of what Jesus did and what He taught. And then He wrote this book of Acts and He says at the beginning, this is sort of the second part of that. right? It goes right along with, with His Gospel that Luke wrote. That's how we began. And then you see it says, still in chapter 1 of Acts, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was right there 
in just the eighth verse of the book, and it really is the outline or the summary of the book of Acts. It's what we've been looking at. It's the fact that God has created His church, given us, given them the power of the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses, first in their community in Jerusalem, and then to spread out in Judea and Samaria and to take it to the ends of the earth. That's what we have seen through the book of Acts. We saw Pentecost and the Holy Spirit being given to His church. The mission begins in Jerusalem. We see trouble beginning. Remember, Stephen was stoned while Saul looked on. The Gospel began to spread even to the Gentiles. Saul was converted and began to use the name Paul. The Antioch church was the first sending church to send out missionaries. It was from there that that the Gospel began to be spread to all Gentiles. Remember that the Antioch church commissioned Paul and Barnabas. Remember that whole story? And sent them out with the Gospel. It went all to the Gentiles. And every place that Paul went on all of his journeys that we looked at, he first went to the Jew and to the temple and the synagogue and then to the Gentiles. And we looked at all the different trials of Paul. False accusations Death threats. He was stoned and dragged out of the city. Remember that? Left for dead. Imprisoned. Falsely accused. But then finally, our story for today, we see Paul on his way to Rome. Remember it said just a few chapters ago, God visited. God visited. said the Lord visited Paul and came up next to him in the middle of the night and said, Paul, you have been faithful to me. You must go to Rome. So Paul had that confidence of knowing that God called him to go to Rome. So no matter what, God would get him there. So as I read through chapters 27 and 28 to conclude our study of the book of Acts, I'd like you to read along in your Bibles. It's not going to be up on the screen for you this morning. In fact, what I'm going to have is there's going to be a map up there. There's going to be a map while I read. And it's got a map of this journey that Paul takes finally to get to Rome. And it's a map that shows him in his sea voyage all the way to get to Rome. And so as I read, you're going to see that. Here's the map. You're going to see that map. And so what it looks like. Do we have the map to show? Thank you. And so um, and so we see the map um, which shows where he started. And where he had to get to, we all know to know what Italy looks like, right? You can see that? It looked the same back then. And so he travels all that way. So basically, as I read the story, okay, as I read the story, um, it's really an amazing epic sea, uh, sea voyage. It's even been shown throughout history that this is one of the best intact, um, historically documented uh, sea voyages with so much detail that it's been used by mariners and sailors throughout the ages from the Bible to show what it was like and all that they that they faced. So as I read through Acts 27 and 28, you can just kind of glance up and use the map as a reference. Follow along in your Bible. If you didn't bring one, there's one in the seats in front of you. It tells of Paul's epic voyage all the way to Rome. It's filled with storms murderous soldiers, a shipwreck, and even a venomous snake thrown in for good measure. So follow along as I read it. 
It's an amazing story, uh, and um, it will bring us to the conclusion of Luke's accounts of the early church and how it spread and how the mission of the church was unstoppable. And then we'll just see for the last few minutes where we fit into this story. Acts 27 and 28. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which is about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon. Remember, you can look at the map. You can just get a general idea. And Julius treated Paul kindly. He gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lachia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete of Salmone. Now coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying this, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and they could spend the winter there. So now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and they sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear. Thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison all the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and he said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you 
but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And Behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, and as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. So they took a sounding, and they found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern, and they prayed for day to come. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat, and they let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then... They all were encouraged, and they ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay at the beach, on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors, and they left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes, They tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill all the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first, to make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought to safety to the land. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and he put them on the fire, A viper came out because of the heat, and it fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging on Paul's hand, they said to one another, No doubt, this man is a murderer. Even though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he, however, shook off the creature into the fire. He suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or even suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time, they saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds, then they said he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief of the island, named Publius, who received us and he entertained us hospitably 
for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. When we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Then, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as the figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putoli. There, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at this lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn that I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will listen. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came in, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, with all boldness and without hindrance. Still with me? <laughs> A long story, right? A long couple of chapters to end our, our look at the book of Acts. Here's basically what happened. Hopefully you, you caught the gist of the story through all those details. But isn't it amazing how detailed Luke got in his telling of this sea voyage? Again, historians have used it, even apart from uh, looking at the scriptures and looking at it from a, 
a theological point of view. They looked at it just as, man, what a detailed story of what uh, a voyage on the sea looked like. You could see all the decisions that were made, the mistakes that were made. They went out on a few different ships. This wasn't a, there wasn't cruise ships around. Like they didn't buy tickets, you know, one way to Rome, right? They had to hop on whatever ships were available. Usually they were carrying grain or, or, or animals or whatever. So they were on a grain ship. Remember it said that they had to throw the grain overboard. And they had to go to different places. And they found they were traveling in the worst weather. See, during that time, during the winter, they, they didn't sail. They didn't have uh, great ways to, to navigate. It even said in there, it said that when there was many days where the cloud was covering, they couldn't see the sun or the stars and the moon, how did they know where they were? They drifted aimlessly, right? They came across tempestuous winds, it said. There was great storms and, and, and uh, gale force winds. And it was blowing them all about. You can see the route that they took. And they landed, right? And they, they, they wanted to go and they, they got to Crete and they left. And they got shipwrecked on Malta. They were treated well there. And amazing. All the things that happened in this story. And hopefully you can see throughout that as Luke is bringing his account of the early church to a close, he's saying, look at all that God was doing for his chosen person, Paul, and how through all of that, God said, I'm going to bring you to Rome. He didn't say it would be easy, and it certainly wasn't. right? But he even brought an angel in the middle of the night to assure Paul, because I'm sure Paul was even afraid. He was even fearful. God said, don't be afraid. Then he brought that to the others on the ship. And he said, the ship is going to be lost, but none of us will perish. A few important things that I want to point out from this. How we are connected to this story. See, this certainly is the end of the book. But it's not the end of the story. Because you remember what all of Acts was about? Right? I quoted a couple of those verses from the beginning about the unstoppable mission of the church and the Holy Spirit being the one that empowered them to do all that they were doing, to bring the gospel to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. That is us. See, this is all about the beginning of the church, and do you know that we are the church? We are the body of Christ, and so this is truly the beginning of our story. This is what God has called us to do. Acts recounts many trials of the disciples mostly focused towards the end on Paul's journeys. But for us, it's a great reminder that God can reveal himself to us by calming a storm, by creating a storm and allowing us to go through one. We all need encouragement during times of difficulties. God did that for Paul often. We know that Paul was staying close to the Lord and praying and and knew that he was called to go, and so he trusted in the Lord, but even the Apostle Paul needed encouragement, didn't he? God spoke to him, and it said the Lord came to his side and encouraged him, and the angel spoke to him on numerous occasions like he did on the ship during the storm. Angel said, don't be afraid. Remember last week during our Christmas Eve service, we talked about how the shepherds were encouraged by the angels Because they were afraid, right? And the angels said, do not fear. Don't be afraid. And that was great for them. But then what did the shepherds do? They went to visit the baby Jesus. They told everything that had happened to who? Joseph and Mary. 
They needed encouragement, didn't they? So the shepherds received encouragement, and then they shared it. And that's what we are to do. Paul received encouragement on the ship from the angel, and then he shared it with everybody else on the ship. He said we might be in the middle of a storm, but God will save us. God's great promise to us is the same. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we see Christ's mission to the disciples, but also to us, these familiar words. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Look at those last words. He says, I am with you sometimes. No. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. With you always. Emmanuel, God with us. Even when the disciples were afraid, without Jesus, when he had died on the cross and he wasn't with them visibly anymore, he comforts them. But he also says to us as well, I am with you, and I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. So when we feel like God perhaps is distant due to our circumstances, remember his promise to be with us always. God with us is a great encouragement. Even more than what Jesus says he will do for us, he says he will be with us. So God encourages us not only through His people but also His presence. Isaiah 43, 1-3 says this, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See the promises of God? When we stay in the Word, and you know, I think all of us, we kind of probably make that New Year's resolution every year. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be in His Word more. Well, why? Why should we do that? One of the greatest reasons is that the Bible is full of great promises from our Creator. Is it not? From our Heavenly Father. Promise after promise that we see for His people Israel. Promises that He makes for us, the church, and for His beloved, those that He treasures. God's promises are a great encouragement. You know, there's this story of, of, a, of a poor woman who one day she asked her pastor and she said, Pastor, how do you find encouragement in times of distress and difficulty? For the woman was poor. She had little food or clothing to offer her children. And the pastor responded and he said, he kept God's promises in a box that he had written out hundreds of promises of God on little strips of paper and rolled them up and he put them in a box. So whenever he needed encouragement, he would open the box and take one out. And it was a way for him to be encouraged. And so he encouraged this woman to do the same. And so she did, but she was unsure. 
So one day, she was at her wit's end. She had no food. Her kids were hungry. She reached up onto the shelf for the box, praying as she reached, God, would there be just one promise in this box for me during my time of desperation? And as she reached for the box, it tipped over, and all the little papers fell out and showered down around her head and her body and down to the floor. It was at that moment that she found the greatest peace and the greatest contentment that she had ever found, recognizing as she wept like never before that all of God's promises were for her, not just one. And they surrounded and comforted her every day. May that be like us. You know, we should take time to look back over this past year. I think we all do that to some extent as the year comes to a close. And as we reflect on all the things you've experienced, all the things you've been through, and recognize the hand of God on your life each step of the way. And even tonight, as you count down the minutes to midnight, preparing to ring in the new year, look ahead. But look ahead with anticipation and excitement of all that the Lord will do with and for and through you. And also for others in this new year. But also, take a moment to consider all that our Lord will do with and for and through us as His church. We just spent month after month looking at God establishing His church, empowering it through the Holy Spirit. And God is still doing that today. We may have come to the end of the book of Acts, but the story is not over. For we continue that story. And even during times of trial and tribulation, remember that God will use you. It was when God, when Paul got to Rome and he was under house arrest in captivity. Do you remember what he did during those two years? And he only wrote four books of the Bible, right? He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. We know them as the prison letters or the prison epistles. So Paul didn't stay silent. Yes, he was in captivity, awaiting who knows what, some kind of trial. He did not yet know. But during that time of difficulty, that time of seeming being seemingly imprisoned, he wrote those four books that have changed lives throughout the centuries. See, we are the continuation of the story of Acts. God's plan for bringing the Gospel to the world That is the church, the body of Christ. We say it often that we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet. When we are all working together, each playing our part, using the gifts that God has given us, then we are healthy and strong. And God is going to use us to do amazing things. You know, way back at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says these great words. It says of the early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
That really should be the purpose statement of every church, shouldn't it? That we should devote ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God. And to fellowship. To the breaking of bread. To communion. To the sacraments. To enjoying our time of fellowship lunch. We do that once a month. And however else we choose to fellowship. Encouraging each other and praying. These are the things that we should be about in 2018. We have been given great and abundant spiritual blessings just to read the, read the beginning of the book of Ephesians. But ultimately, it's not to remain within these four walls. We are called to prepare and then promote. We are called to equip and then evangelize. Do you see that? That we gather here to learn and to grow. To what end? To serve. We serve by sharing the gospel, the good news, the hope that this world truly needs. We saw throughout the book of Acts that Paul and the others brought the gospel, the good news from Jerusalem, from where it started, to Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, and to the ends of the earth. That's what we are called to do as well. Finally, I say this. In 2018, I guarantee there will be times of calm waters and warm, gentle breezes. Just when you walked outside this morning, didn't you feel it? But there will also be times of rough seas and gale force winds. But through it all, whether the sea is calm or the sea is rough in your life, no matter what seasons you go through, This coming year, take courage and do not be afraid. For God is with you. And for God is with us, His church. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for all that You continue to do in our church. We thank You, Lord, and we pray Your many blessings on it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.